0: Hello, listener. Matt here. Support Ben, read his ramblings, or find further notes on this show at securitized.com, spelled S E C U R I T Y Z E D.com. How about a nice
1: game of chess? Hello.
2: And welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of Infosec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliseau. And I'm Matt Snotty.
3: And I'm Rafael Fiedler.
4: And I'm Robin Cabe. What? Robin's back. Yay! (laughs)
2: Robin's joining us for another very special installment of our media review series where we review pop culture entries uh, and determine how well they handle InfoSec concepts. Also talk about whether they're good or they're bad. Um, Robin, welcome back.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: We all missed you. Um, Yes. And uh, you are here for a very, very special episode. What is it we're going to be discussing today?
4: Well, as you know, I only show up for the important episodes, (laughs) like discussing video games, or today we're going to discuss a cinematic masterpiece.
2: One that's near and dear to the heart of most InfoSec practitioners.
4: War Games.
2: War Games, the 1983 Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy film. Um, And I think we're all intimately familiar with it. Rocky. was this the first time you've watched the movie?
3: Yes. Yeah, I've never (laughs) seen it before.
2: Never seen it before. Um, (laughs) Never seen it before. And without getting into the, the movie right away, just in general, Can you understand now why it holds such an important place in the pantheon of infosec films?
3: I can't imagine because it's like a a hacking film in a time. But you know, it's like this is older than me. So (laughs) I saw this movie. I'm like, oh, I don't understand the context. I'm so out of like. (laughs) And I, you have to know, like when I traveled to East Germany for the first time. I it I that that was when the first time it clicked to me for me like the whole cold war and east and west thing because for me when I grew up this was not part of how I grew up anymore you know
1: That's wild me, That's
3: it wild. was always Europe always looked like it did you know uh, <laughs> Germany's always one country uh, but when I was there for the first time it was yeah it was interesting and very eye opening
2: good I there was
3: right, somebody who actually lived there you know
2: and <laughs> Yeah. And and now, now, Matt is someone like me who grew up in that milieu. Now, Matt, this was not your first viewing of war games.
0: Oh, no, not by a long shot, but yeah, this you and I. This was not your
2: third viewing. This was no. not your. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: hey, I, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but, but yeah, you and I are both cold warriors. We're both old school. We, we grew up in the, uh, the, the, the Carter Reagan Bush years of seeing, uh, nuclear Armageddon on the horizon constantly. And, I, I I love all the old Cold War stuff, not because of how terrifying it was, but now that it's all more or less over with, and there's there's little chance of this ever actually happening, it's really interesting to look back on it and and see, uh, gosh, just how how crazy things were, the, the the thought processes that people went through, the the uh, the technology that was in place. It, it, it was just such a a nice slice of just uh, whatever it was, 1983. Just seeing that all over again, yeah.
2: And and that's exactly what I said while we were watching it. Is just the amount of resources that were tasked to annihilating the planet, and and how how ready everyone was. It was it was so it was such a waste of resources and such a weird mindset collectively. And I'm not I'm not talking about either side. I'm talking about both sides. Um, yeah. And Robin Robin said something even more profound. You were you were going to jump in, I think. There, I, I
4: did. Yeah. Uh, well, I. I, it is definitely a slice of history but um in watching it for the second time it was my second viewing i was struck by how contemporary it actually felt it felt kind of current and relevant
2: uh, very much so and that and that's the thing that that struck me is um both in the context of uh, all networks being interconnected and so much more viability of being hacked being able to hack into systems and cause uh some some evil doing uh, and uh, the heightened tensions between East and West right now, and, and suddenly Russia's, you know, a thing again.
4: Um, that, it, it made me think of Zero Days. Yep, yep. The, the idea that hacking a system could have a physical, real-world impact.
2: Zero Days, the film. the, the Yes, yes the, the documentary about Stuxnet. And, and, yes, the how the electrons can instead become a physical ramification to health and human safety. Um, So, yeah. Uh, So so let's just set the scene real quick. Rofty, it was your first viewing. Do you want to get – no, I'm going to give it to Matt, because Matt is our War Games scholar. Um, Do you want to give the thumbnail overview, before we start picking the thing apart, of what the film is about?
0: Sure. So uh, War Games is set in the early 80s, uh, height of the Cold War, um, and we have our protagonist, Matthew Broderick, uh, who plays the character David Lightman, who is a – A high school kid who uh, is really smart but doesn't apply himself, as my my counselor in high school used to say about me as well. And he uh, has probably about $20,000 worth of computer equipment in his bedroom. I have no idea how he ended up with all that stuff. His parents must have really, really liked him. Um, And for fun, he loves to play video games like everybody does. And he sees an ad for a video game company that uh, doesn't say what it's advertising. It just says you won't believe what you're going to see. And he decides to start start trying to figure out what those games are that are going to be released. And he does that by doing a thing called war dialing. He sets up his computer to dial every phone number in the area. Thumbnail, thumbnail, thumb
2: give us some broad strokes here. Broad strokes. <laughs> you're, you're getting down in the weeds, Sorry. and that's great because those I are get the, so the,
0: excited yeah. about the war dialing. I, I'm, um, to, I'm so. <laughs> anyways, he ends up um, getting into uh, NORAD, uh, the the nuclear uh, uh, department for the United States accidentally starts a countdown to Armageddon and um, then has to stop it again. So by, by, <laughs> by breaking into uh, NORAD, he, he about brings the demise of the planet.
2: Excellent. And, 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 that's, and that is it. And the weird thing is, um, as much of a, a film as it was, as much of a fiction as it was, it seemed almost realistic i mean it seemed like the logic there was no unicorn there was no magic there was no fantasy element it seemed like they had constructed a sensible chain of events where that could have occurred right
0: yeah yeah it was all yeah. uh, th- th- there was no deus ex machina that was uh, coming out of the sky to save the world or to or to cause the demise of the world it was all uh, yeah very realistic i thought
2: very good awesome awesome excellent all right um uh brothy, you agree that's good digest in general you you were I, I, I... already on the guy's room you you wanted to talk about the equipment in the room and I have that on my list of I usually only have one page of notes from a movie when we're talking about infosec I have four pages of fucking notes on this
3: one. <laughs> okay no I was just like and this is all like and Matthew you touched two things which from my perspective i was a little bit confused about first yes of course like uh, all the equipment and all the phone bill stuff and i mean he hints in it like that he might have like got it maybe shipped to his address without ever paying for it or something like that almost like when he was like hacking the the phone booth to dial without paying for it so they are sort of suggesting it in that way so I'm, i was confused I, I didn't know how much it cost but yeah, it, it was a it was lot of <laughs> especially in yeah.
0: 1980 money. Uh, yeah, that, that, okay. I can... It's no joke. There's probably $20,000 in 1980 money, which is probably 60,000 uh, okay.
3: currently. Okay, yeah, well, this is this I was a little bit confused about. And the other thing I was confused about, of course, looking back and like, I have no, I could have no clue if this could have worked, but like so little security, like this war dialing thing, magic was it only security by obscurity? Like, is this, And I mean, yes, there has been a password. And of course we are talking about the infosec stuff later, but I was like so confused, like all this old technology and how like from a today's perspective, most of that stuff would not work at the phone booth Plus.
2: thing. Let's get there. Let's get there. And, and okay. we'll step through it. We're going we're gonna to go through the film from start to finish. And we'll There's so the much to talk
0: to about here. It's hard yeah. to just get, yeah. <laughs> find a structure yeah. to this show. <laughs> exactly. So
3: Okay. I'm just saying those were the two things where I'm like fr- looking from, uh, like I was born in the 90s, looking back into this, the things that were made in the 80s and like current technologies from the 80s. I'm like baffled how this stuff worked.
4: From my perspective, as someone who grew up kind of uh, after this era, it seemed actually kind of plausible that this attack might have worked in part because, at least from my perspective, it seems like a lot of the equipment that he had is not stuff that the average Person would have and the ability to do that attack would have been extremely. It has nothing to
2: do with the equipment, but we'll get again. We'll get there. We'll get there. We will will get there. We're going to (laughs) let's go through. We're going to go through the timeline of the film. We'll get there. I promise. I promise. All right, let's start at the very beginning of the film. Um, A couple of Air Force officers, Leo from the West Wing and Mr. White from Reservoir Dogs uh, pull up to a nuclear silo uh, in some unlisted Northern tier airbase. Uh, bad OPSEC, first of all, they're driving a marked Air Force vehicle and they're both in uniform. Now, the weird thing is, and there's, it's supposedly this is a secret place, they step into a house, there's a two-way mirror, they have to be let through by holding on their IDs and going down into the, the silo. Weird thing is, that's realistic. Contextually from the time, that's how it went. And yes, Air Force, what? that's exactly what happened. Except there there may be at the time that that silo was active in that little house, there'd be like 12 security officers at any given time.
4: But but so what's the point of keeping it secure in like an uh, a secret
2: house on top?
4: A secret house, but you've got these big Air Force trucks coming up. They're like Wow, those Air Force guys just sure really do and not living together. Also,
2: at the time, they allowed pizzas to be delivered to that house. <laughs> so, so without getting into too much of the realism versus the movie, the movie actually represented that fairly accurately. Uh, I, I I found that that pretty funny. Um, they have to badge in. They they go down into the silo and they're chatting the whole time. It's very humanizing. Now, the weird thing that I noticed is they're talking about growing and smoking marijuana. And (laughs) when I was in the Air Force in the 90s, this was very much verboten. And they had uh, definitely uh, put uh, security measures in place to detect if anyone was using any kind of illicit substances all the time. Uh, Now, that's doubly true for somebody who was working in the nuclear missile program. Uh, it was called PRP, personnel, personnel Reliability Program, and you could not even take a Tylenol without getting orders from a, um, a doctor or a flight surgeon uh, to be able to do that. Uh, so I don't know how realistic that was. I am familiar that in the 70s there were some scandals about military personnel, including officers, using drugs, um, but I found that kind of interesting. From a personnel security standpoint,
4: yeah, um, and
0: I didn't catch that. That was I didn't catch that, that was marijuana that they were talking about. Maybe I just wasn't paying any attention to it, or I'm so removed from the drug culture that I have no idea what they were saying. But I didn't I didn't, I didn't realize that. I'm not either. One. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>.
4: <laughs> I, I had no idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that that's what they're talking about, and, and they actually do. They actually reference it two or three times, and, and once actually when they get into the silo. Um, they're given sidearms that they, uh, have to check and load. I don't know if that was a part of being in the silo because once that door closes, you're pretty much locked in anyway. Who are you going to use the gun on? Um, uh, I, that was a thing that happened like when I worked in command post, we wore armed and we did swap out pistols at the shift. Um, but you took them from the controllers you were relieving. So if the guys who were they were replacing in the silo already had the sidearms, they should have handed it off to them when they came in. Um, then they get an alert saying they've got to launch the missiles. And and what happens there?
0: Oh, they they uh, do all the procedures and it's all very rote and they're following the book and everything is going great. And then uh, the the captain, I believe, the blonde haired guy. All of a sudden, gets cold feet and says, "We need to make some phone calls because this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing this." And that's yeah. when Michael Madsen steps in and utters the uh, impeccable line, "Turn the key, sir." Yes, punches, yes. Points his gun at the guy as if that would motivate anyone. Because it's like, okay, if you shoot your your compadre, you're still screwed. You can't you can't shoot off your missile because it's the 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 keys are too far apart by a design to keep uh, one person from launching.
2: And that's called two person integrity TPI. And it is designed that way. They were 12 feet apart so that one person could not turn them both at the same time and illegally or through an unauthorized uh, use launch the missiles by themselves, Um, which, again, is another reason I don't think they had them armed in the silos. We can check with some people I know who worked in the silos, but (laughs) I think that's the case.
3: Yeah, what what I liked, uh, and you talked about this earlier as well, it was this human aspect that the that the guy was like, I want to talk to a human before I sent this missile killing like so many people million people. Dead. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And, and, and I thought it was thing. a chilling sequence. It was a great yeah. Yeah. way to open up the film and show what the stakes were. Um, because first they're human beings; they're all chatting. The NCO gives a little shit to the captain, and they all are kind of joking and and going along. And then you introduce this concept of what we're really here to do is launch a brace of missiles, incinerating twenty million people, and that was terrifying. I I, I found it absolutely gripping at that moment. Yeah, um, uh,
3: maybe for context, how many missiles was one of those posts like commanding?
2: I don't was remember we... exactly, but it's more than one. And each okay. one of them, each one of them, um, to cue in on something they mentioned just obliquely later on is a Merv, a multiple independent, uh, uh, reentry, multiple independently targetable reentry vehicle, meaning each warhead on each booster can launch, I think, 20 different nukes themselves. Yeah. So, so it's a, a big deal. Um, uh, and that's great. And then we, we go to the opening credits and then, you know, it's the, uh, the nice introduction of, uh, not Milwaukee, but Seattle, um, <laughs> where it's a nice suburban setting kids playing in an arcade, Matthew Broderick, uh, playing Galaga for reals. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and, and, and I'll just say he's a terrible Galaga player.
2: Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because that's what I was thinking too.
0: And they even gave him a Galaga machine for two two months prior to filming, and he still was only shooting like 60-some percent in that game. I've got a Galaga machine. I could hit 99% on that thing all day and all night. <laughs> and for the level of nerd that they were
2: making him out to be and that this is his morning habit, you know, yeah, um, yeah. he really wasn't doing well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I'm really glad you noticed that right away because that was on my Um. Yeah. Uh, Oh, oh, actually, before that, there's a short sequence when uh, they're at NORAD, and uh, they're talking about the situation that had just occurred with the two officers, um, and they're saying, well, there's something wrong with the process, and the thing that's wrong is the human beings, that the human yeah. beings won't do, they won't fire the missiles when we tell them to.
0: So, Yeah, that, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the point of that scene is to basically establish that the scene that we saw at the beginning was, in fact, a drill to test officers and, and whether they would shoot their missiles. And they give the statistic that 22% of, P- of the people after that drill failed to launch their missiles. So that leads the uh, the uh, think tank types to say, well, then we got to get rid of the people. We got to put this in the hands of a computer.
2: Uh, and Dabney Coleman is in charge of it. And, and the computer's called Whopper. I'm sorry, go ahead, uh, Rafti, you want to say something?
3: I just wanted to add, because of the time aspects, which I think was, uh, they, they explained fairly well. In the beginning, I'm like, no why would you do this but then when they went into it and said like there are six minutes to make this decision and the president has to sign off and then there's so little time left for everybody else yep this just needs to happen
2: yeah Um, and it seems crazy doesn't it
3: it so seems crazy yeah no i agree but i i think from from this mindset i can i can relate i can understand that they are like well you're there to do a job you know
2: and the things about security at the NORAD sequence, first of all, a helicopter comes and lands, like, right on the mountain. I think <laughs> NORAD's a no-fly zone, one of the biggest <laughs> ones in the country. That's that's not a thing. Uh, you would land at Colorado Springs and be be bust up from there. Uh, the parts of the film were actually shot at NORAD in Colorado Springs at Cheyenne Mountain. Uh, and it looks amazing. And the sets that they use look very similar to what actually NORAD
0: looks like, too. Matt, did you ever go in there? Oh, gosh, no. No, I never got it. <laughs> Um uh, But when uh, I hear that so, there's a tunnel that goes from the Air Force Academy to NORAD. That's untrue. The <laughs> untrue. Untrue.
2: I looked for it. Untrue. Yeah. Untrue. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, but I did go on the tour. Up until the late 90s, they had public tours, um, which is something uh, Robin found very interesting, because later in the film, there is actually a tour group there. She's yeah. like, what? That? I said, that's a thing. That actually occurred. It was a propaganda thing that the U.S. Yeah. government would do to let you see where your tax dollars were
0: going. Yep, um, It's the same reason the Air Force flies fighter jets at air shows, because they want for the public to see what their tax dollars are being spent on and go, ooh and ah.
3: Yep. Yeah. But then maybe just to chime in into that, uh, like, how is that for security? Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> not to get
4: too far ahead, but I was pretty appalled that they even had programmed in. They had one of the um, the visitors sit da- sit down <laughs> the at button. the command post and told them to press a button that sounded an alarm, but then flashed up a funny message welcoming the tour group
2: <laughs> and i don't remember
4: that occurring during my tour I mean, that seemed more
2: like a movie thing but uh yeah um uh, the other thing that i noticed is no but had... from a
3: security perspective were those people like in reality were they screened i mean of course the movie does not go you into this
2: to, you had to give your social security number and apply for the tour three weeks before and supposedly okay. what they did is they, they ran a, a simple background check against you okay um yeah, so I supposedly they were screening people, but you know, uh, who knows, right? I'm sure the Russians knew as much about Norad as we knew about their nuclear program. So, I mean, you know, no surprises there. Uh the thing that I did notice that huge blast door, which is real, uh, that's a 20-ton door. As it's closing, people are walking in and out as it's closed. I'm
0: like, no. Uh-uh, casually, no. casually strolling through while there's yeah. still, you know, a foot and a half of space left. Just acting like it's not a big deal. Like if you slip and drop your pen,
2: you know, oops, you know. No, that's not, no, that would not be a thing.
3: this this when I saw this this is right at the beginning so we're back in the timeline for anybody who's listening who has not seen this movie like recently this is right at the beginning and I wrote this down as well where I'm like well this seems I need to ask you guys if if this is a thing or not um and I had no clue how like uh heavy the doors but it looks heavy and I'm like I would not like as soon as this thing starts moving I would move out of the way
2: (laughs) yeah and and they had what they actually have is giant red lines on the ground And as soon as the sequence starts to either open or close, everyone's got to be outside the red. And and, uh, that is obviously strictly enforced. I did like the fact that everybody was wearing badges, even the general on his uniform was wearing a line badge. The visitors did have separate color and different context badges, all very realistic. The thing that wasn't realistic is sometimes the visitors get to walk around unescorted on their own. That's not a thing. And when they're
0: caught, they're just lightly scolded with a slap on the wrist. Get back with your tour group. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Instead of being detained.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, what they're talking about in that discussion, Dabney Coleman and the other nerds, is the difference between fail safe and fail secure. And the idea is if a process is going to fail, if one element in the process fails, do you shut down the entire process or do you lock the process in and they're talking about the human beings if the human beings fail you can't launch the missile however if something else fails the computer can launch the missile and and that's what they were talking about there
0: uh yeah and i was actually looking up trying to figure out what the antonym was for fail safe uh, because, because, yeah, that's, that, that's in essence what they had was a system that was kind of like the Russian dead hand where if uh, the system went offline, it assumed that it was offline because of a nuclear war. And so, therefore, I'm going to ret- retaliate and the, the best that I could find was called a failed deadly, which is that, um, or, or and I'm sure that there's probably better ones out there, but, um, uh, yeah, whatever the opposite of fail safe is this was it.
2: And that would be in this context. It's weird, but that would be fail secure. The process yeah. is secure. Not the fact that the world is going to be incinerated is secure. <laughs> um, okay. So then we, then we go to Seattle. Uh, Matthew Broderick sucks at Gallagher. He goes to science class. Which he as a nerd is failing. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: May I bring something up for the science class, not related please, to security. Please. So he comes in, and I found this very weird. He comes in, sneaks-ish in, uh, sits down, and then of course the teacher gives him gives him his F. And what I found very weird is that afterwards, like uh, he gives I don't know her name, you know. Ellie Sheedy apparently. He gives he then gives her the, her grade as well. And I'm like, but she was already in class. Everybody else has their test. Why does she give like from a from a structure perspective and like how they recorded the whole movie they could have done her part right before he came in they did not have to do it like this and this sort of relationship which they sort of kicked off with this scene they could have done so perfectly the other way around as well because like Mm -hmm. if we are not gonna notice um then we're not gonna notice the switcheroo But how they done it like this, I think it like for me, when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this is so weird. (laughs) But that's like an
2: awesome point. Bad cinematography.
3: Yeah, no, there's very (laughs) couple but to that point, like I I hated this scene.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, the scene was important because Matthew Broderick is purposefully getting thrown out of class and sent to the principal's office. Why?
0: so that he can find the surreptitious post-it note that has the long line of passwords on it. All he has to do is look at the most recent password that hasn't been scratched out. And what we find out later is he then doesn't worry about that F because he can just uh, dial into the school computer. Pre, uh, I, I'm half convinced that, that David Lightman become, turns a state's witness and uh, becomes Ferris Bueller in Chicago. because He does the <laughs> exact same thing. That's his. That's his uh, witness relocation program. <laughs> right, right. He becomes Ferris Bueller, but yeah, he changes his grade on on the school computer uh, without anybody ever realizing it. And he does uh, so for his girlfriend as well, or or, or girl girl space friend, not girlfriend. <laughs> she...
4: The female character in this film who serves no purpose other than to be a female in the film.
0: <laughs> no,
3: she drives. She drives him around um, because he he doesn't own a bike.
0: And stuff and, and
3: lent him money at one point, so yeah, I think
0: that's true. She does buy my a, a plane ticket. A plane and ticket. Yeah, she's a
2: facilitator. Too.
0: She yeah. is. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Um, she doesn't. Neither one of them wear helmets on the moped, which yeah. just looked dangerous as fuck to me. That was that was. Uh, uh.
0: That was the eighties. No one wear. No one wore that.
2: No, but she also looked like a really bad driver. She almost hits him with the damn thing when they first <laughs> meet up true. after class.
0: And, and, and then, then they, they drive on the sidewalk.
2: Yeah. If yeah,
3: we're on that topic as well. Did that happen in the '80s as well?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Especially in the suburbs. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Okay. And yep. that
0: moped barely had enough power to drive both of them when they were on it. I don't know if you could hear. I don't know if that that was ADR dubbing of the sound of the moped, but it was struggling carrying the two of them. <laughs>
2: and they're on they're on a city street. They you know to get to his house, they actually go onto a road where there's traffic ostensibly.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: So they go to his house, they go up to his room, where he has the aforementioned twenty grand worth of not only computer equipment, but a bunch of stereo and VCR stuff yeah, and everything, yeah. all the toys, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. I would be proud to have that today, much less in the 80s.
2: Oh, yeah. Do you know what that stuff would be worth today to collectors, too? <laughs> I, I think I saw an Altair. Did you see an Altair in there? It had, it had masking tape over it
0: may um i don't know maybe
2: and um, the, the he got a seven console. inch floppy dick flop, <laughs>
0: <floppy laughs> it's easy for you to say uh-huh. uh, and he
2: had an acoustic coupler
0: yep the modem
2: now rafty this is this is where your question comes into play and this is the question robin asked while, while we were watching why does he start uh, why does he call information in the target city of where ostensibly the computer game company is located? Find out what the prefix of the phone number to the company is, and the other prefixes in that local area. Do you, Do you know what was going on there, Rofty?
3: I did not get the question. Like he was. Are we still talking about the coupler? Are we talking? I don't like. Yep.
2: Yeah. Why is he, Why is he doing this with the phone? Why is he making these calls?
3: Yeah, we already said this, like you said it earlier, because like he's looking for those computer games. He wants to get into this company's like servers to sort of like get an early access on the new computer games, which you right, can, right, will right, not believe. But,
2: but what's he doing? Matt, do you want to explain what war dialing is? Yeah,
0: yeah I have no
3: clue what war dialing
0: is. <laughs> so war dialing is basically a way that you can tell a computer to, to, to dial every phone number in, a, in an area. And uh, the computer keeps track of whether a human picks it up or whether an, a, a computer answers. And if a computer answers, it logs that and it says, "Oh, this might be interesting. Let me call the next one and see see what's on there." And so it goes through. So for every prefix, there are uh, uh, one thousand phone numbers, and I think he got like five or six prefixes. So he was going to call five or six thousand phone numbers, or uh, fifty thousand phone numbers, uh, which is, seems slow and tedious, and it is. Which is why you have the computer do You just let it run. And then, you know, at some point in the future, you come back and you say, okay, here's all the computer hits. So it either got computer tones or fax tones or something like that. Let me see what these are, which is what he does. It's exactly what he does. He stops it from war dialing, and he pulls up on the screen, shows off for Ali Sheedy, and says, oh, uh, let's see what this one is. And he pulls it up, and it's the Pan Am Reservation Ticketing System. And that's when he makes a reservation for himself and for her to go to uh, 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 I Paris. Go to Paris. <laughs> Paris. Uh, from Chicago, which I thought was weird. <laughs> In, in, in the movie, uh, in the, the the ticket is from Chicago to Paris.
2: It is. Yeah. I didn't really? realize. I did not even notice that. Pretty, see, now that is a premonition of Ferris Bueller's life. Yes,
0: exactly. That that, that, uh, that, that all brings all this around.
4: He he had already thought that far ahead. He already yeah. knew he was relocating. <laughs>
0: but uh the next one is the one that he hits on that uh, actually comes up when when he redials it it's a login prompt and he tries to see if he can just guess his way in basically social engineer his way in can't get anywhere and then all of a sudden he magically figures out oh if i type the word help and then the word games that is terrible security (laughs) because he could interact (laughs) with that computer without and it's
2: amazing that's pure guess hacking it, that's all it was. I mean, there was there was no sophistication. Now it shows that he has some familiarity with similar systems, and and all he's doing is trying common. It's like typing admin in, right?
0: Right. right. Yeah. Admin root password of password password of nimda password of one two three four. So yeah, he's able to interact with this, and he still has is blind. He still has no idea what the computer system on the other end of the phone line is. But he. Um,
2: now there was a couple there was a couple other elements that i thought were interesting in that same uh, bedroom sequence one is he shows ali sheedy not to worry about the science grade because he can change their grades and the thing that i like ali sheedy doing and and this is you know i'm kind of give a counterpoint to what robin said the the useless female character she serves as sort of a moral center that he doesn't have yep she refuses to let him change her grade. Yep, yep. And and we're not sure why. She doesn't define why, but it, it I think as an actress she conveyed that she felt it was wrong. She was scared yep. of the implication of getting caught, but she also felt that this was just not right.
0: Yep. Um, yep. Did you
2: get that as well?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually even made a note that, that she was uh, uh, she had stronger ethics than than the David Lightman character, because it gave the impression that David Lightman had done this and, on multiple occasions over time. And that's the whole reason that he was passing high school in the first place, is because he he didn't care what grade he got on any paper or test. He could just go in and change it.
2: Yep. That's exactly how <laughs> I, that, that's how it came across to me.
4: That's true. Of course, I do. I stand corrected, she was necessary to be that uh counterpoint, even though she changes her mind later and says, Yeah, okay, change my grade. <laughs> uh, she does kind of convey the voice of the average viewer,
2: Yep, exactly. So. Good, Rafi. You wanted to add something there,
3: yeah, yeah. Now, of course, this point was later like uh advanced when um he actually got like his grade sheet, and like his mom was like, Oh, you have so many great grades, what's like.
2: You need to tell your (laughs) dad. And he's
1: like, no. Now,
2: what I really like is once she leaves, a real-world aspect of security and a continuing theme throughout the film is added, and that is sex wins. Everything else is secondary in technology, processes, uh, security. She leaves, and he changes her grade Anyway, because he cares about her, or he likes her, or for whatever reason, he's going to do that. And there's a couple other moments in the film where we see this um, uh, uh, sexual or romantic interest being a pivotal point to security. And 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 I'll come back to that later too. Uh, and yeah. that, but that, and how many times have we seen you know massive security breaches done because of uh, sexual reasons? She also is the one who mentions. Aren't these phone calls? Isn't making 10,000 phone calls expensive? And he says, oh, there's ways around that. And he's, to me, that came across as phone freaking. That's kind of,
0: yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was a throwaway. It was a throwaway line. But yeah, uh, he's referring to freaking P-H-R-E-A-K-I-N-G.
2: And Rafi, have you heard this term before? No. Matt, for the audience, explain what phone
0: freaking. <laughs> so, phone freaking is—I I think that it predates even um, uh, computer hacking. It was a way to navigate the uh, for, for everyone who's young. We used to have to pay for long-distance calls. Whenever you made a phone call to someplace out of state, out of your city, out of you know, out of the country, and the phone company would charge you a ton of money for for the privilege of making these calls. And I think that at best they were like ten cents a minute or something like that. So making long distance phone calls was a big deal. And if you wanted to get onto a cool BBS with your computer, so a bulletin board system that was somewhere else, all the cool ones were always in California or New York City. You didn't want to have to tie up your phone line making a multi-hour long distance phone call. So the Freakers figured out ways to navigate. In particular, I think it was Bell uh, uh, phone labs. Uh, AT- AT&T became a bunch of other things. There were ways to navigate that that system because that was all run by computers and you could do it with The phone itself, which is kind of referred to a little bit later, but you can, um, if you know how to freak a phone, you can make long distance phone calls as if you were an operator or as if you were a technician and it basically gives you admin level privileges on the phone. So you can bypass having to pay on any of that kind of stuff. And so that's what he's kind of referring to there. He was, he, he was also a freaker as well as a hacker.
2: Which which is very realistic, because at the time, a lot of those communities overlap significantly, too. And in fact, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak first started their business ventures by making what were known as blue boxes, which uh, were ways to automate freaking using the Captain Crunch whistle uh, tone to to <laughs> do, overriding...
0: the, do You know the tone. Do, do you know what the uh, the hurts the of it is?
2: Is it is it?
0: Uh, I thought it was like C Sharp or something like that. It's twenty six hundred, which is oh, also... really?
2: Oh, the twenty six hundred club and the Atari twenty six hundred. Nice. Well, the Atari
0: twenty six hundred, but also yeah, the, the twenty six hundred magazine, which was the hackers yeah. magazine of the eighties yeah. uh, and nineties. But yeah, yeah, um, and 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 Ben, you referred to Captain Crunch. That was another very famous thing where Captain Crunch cereal, kids' Sunday morning, Saturday morning cereal, included a whistle that was at twenty six hundred hertz, and people figured out, oh, if I blow this whistle into my phone. Whenever I'm trying to make a phone call, it gives me admin privileges, and I can make those long-distance calls. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We it's were amazing. really bored <laughs> in the 80s. It's amazing the <laughs> things that people figured out because <laughs> it, it sounds mind-blowing now, but, yeah, people just sat around and did this stuff back then.
2: We had nothing else to do because we didn't have the Internet, kid. Didn't have the Internet,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
2: So now he's, he's, figu- he's gotten into this weird system. And he doesn't know what it is. He wants to play these games and he's trying to figure out how. He does uh some cursory tests and they all fail. He goes to his friends, uh, who are some nerds at a university lab. Did 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 that come across? Uh, we don't exactly know where they were. Yeah,
0: but some lab. Yeah. Some lab. Yeah, they're they're employed. They're not students, put it wherever uh they're they're working in a professional capacity. But yeah, stereotypical nerds. Totally, I, I wrote autistic engineers in my, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and they they play
2: the roles very very well. Again, for at that time those those people came across extraordinarily realistic. <laughs> uh, uh, they make mention first of a thing called the current data encryption algorithms, which is vague, um, but may have been referring to DES or Triple DES at the time. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a throwaway line. It doesn't really say you have to find a key or anything like that, but then they bring up, and this is where I want to talk to about Rafty's point. They bring up the concept of a back door.
3: Yeah. I wrote this down as well.
2: Okay. Well, go ahead, Rafty. What is a back door? What's it used for? Why do they exist?
3: A backdoor is basically. Haven't we talked about this on a show? But basically, of a backdoor. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Many. Times.
3: Is and is I like when you when you implement a backdoor, you have sort of like a second key to decrypt or to get into a system, a second way. Like and he like he's explaining in the movie, like that's almost like a backdoor. And um, typically, like I think where where listeners might have had listen to like heard this in recent days, most often is when it comes to encryption. This is sort of like the reason why I'm talking about keys at the moment. And uh, famously, like uh, Apple did not want to get a backdoor into the iPhone encryption to um, yeah, did not want to implement it. And, and so like, the the general A backdoor allows
2: you to get into a system without going through the authorization security protocols right exactly it's, it's yeah so what you can bypass security of course that and that's exist? So-
3: of course <laughs> of
2: course who puts them there
3: the the developers
2: yeah and the developers do it usually for a benevolent reason they usually oh do
1: yeah
2: it. they they do it because they're going to have to do long-term maintenance on the system and they don't want to have to go through all the security stuff um is it a oh, big that's, problem
3: that's an interesting concept i did not know about that yeah interesting yeah um yeah of course it's a big problem if anybody gets a hold of this backdoor method if it's uh like a key like it was in this scenario or if it's like just a physical access it can be the one usb port or something um like uh, if anybody knows about the backdoor, they can go pa- bypass everything so a backdoor is a zero day Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
2: Um, And and so you were asking, you know, how easy would this be? How here's the other aspect about backdoors and legacy systems. They they mentioned a few times in the film that Whopper had already been in a research capacity, that for years it had been running these simulations, these war games of what would happen if the U.S. and Russia uh, went to war and when would the missiles be launched and what what would the damage be? Then they brought it from research over to production and put it online. With a legacy system, when you port it over, often there are legacy architecture constructs in it that the people in production don't know what those things do. And when they run across these legacy artifacts, they don't just delete them or remove them and can you guess why why you wouldn't do that
0: you don't want to risk breaking it
2: exactly they don't know what it's there for they have no idea what it does but they're too afraid to remove it because the whole house may come crumbling down i'm guessing that the back door which seemed to have been installed by professor falcon who devised the system was one of these artifacts so when it moved from research, experimentation into production, they kept the back door. That's, that's, and I, to me, that struck me as realistic. That came across as, as being tangible in, in our world.
0: Yeah, very, very much so.
3: And of course, for, for people who are not into developing, this is, and you're right, this is so typical if you, and I think that. Um, all the open source stuff um, like throughout this year when people were like oh no how has this backdoor been in there for such a long time or this exploit it's because people just copy code as well like in today's landscape I think it's even more of an issue if if uh, some uh, stack overflow or some github repositories have backdoors in them and you just copy and paste code without knowing and understanding what it does because you want to do a shortcut you're inviting backdoors into your code, you're inviting backdoors into your end product. So, um, yeah, it's a good takeaway for <laughs> current days, of course, as well. And I think nowadays, it's even more like with the internet with having access to so much of this stuff. Um, very interesting.
2: Yeah. So so when you said, you know, how realistic would it be to someone just to get into the system? I think that explains it. And I and I think that came across as realistic to me. Um, yeah, and I mean... Robin, Robin said while we were watching this, she goes, you know, this is more terrifying on second viewing in, in context of what's going on in the world. <laughs> Just the the volume of hacks that go on and the amount of scans and how, you know, the Chinese and the Russian hacking groups and how prolific they are, they must've found every backdoor that exists today.
3: Yep. Mm. But like, um, would it be on a main line? Like in our days, it would be behind at least, like we talked last episode about security in depth. Um, like there is no security team that it has its own like phone line. How, how, like, why? I
2: think they mentioned it in the film. They say a subsystem located in California. Is that, is that what they said?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. It, was, it was something that needed remote access essentially. And so they had an unlisted number assigned to it. Well, an unlisted number is security through obscurity until, you know, it's fine until someone war dials and finds it.
2: Yep. Yep. And, and again, to me, that seems almost realistic, especially yeah. at that time period. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. 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 So he stumbled across it in his war dialing. It's still connected to Whopper in Colorado. And boom, there you go. Um, now his nerd friends tell him to research Falcon, the name that's listed on the uh, games interface, Falcon's Maze. And I love this montage. It is not Rocky working out by punching meat. It is not, you know, a marathon. He does a, a montage of nerding at the microfiche reader in the library and yep. looking through the hard catalog. Yeah, exactly. It's the least sexy montage ever. <laughs> and it reveals certain things that he then um, re explains to Ali Sheedy in a second bedroom sequence. And the big takeaway in that sequence is what? what? What do they find out about Falcon?
0: Oh, was it uh, his son uh, that, that, that he had done research and found out about his son, and his son had passed away, and his son's name was, was uh, spoiler alert, Joshua, which is what the Whopper, uh, Whopper is interchangeably referred to as Joshua once this is revealed.
3: But yeah. also th- he, they figured out that he's dead as well. So they they learned both of those things. I think like first they figured that he's dead. And then he started going like that. That Falcon is dead or supposedly spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> and then he sort of went into his life a little bit more. And then he f- found out Joshua.
2: And you had mentioned um, uh, recently, Rafti, when we talk about this offline, you said one of the funniest lines in, in the film is when these two high school kids are talking about Falcon and uh, Matthew Broderick tells Al- Ellie Sheedy, well, he's dead. And she's like, oh, he seems so young. And and what, is, what does Broderick say?
3: <laughs> uh, he He's actually 41. And then she's like, yeah, that's old.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, now, like, he seemed young. But for now that I know that he's 41, well... That is old.
2: That's okay. (laughs) It's okay for him to be dead. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And the weird thing is, again, that struck me as realistic for high school kids. You know, from their perspective, 41's ancient, right? Uh, Now, for a really sick meta commentary on security, uh, how did the wife and child die?
0: Oh, I don't remember. Was it a car crash?
2: Yeah. Uh, Drunk driver. Oh, okay. And. Um later, while filming another movie, Matthew Broderick would kill a woman and child in a car crash. Uh, so that was a weird, resonant element. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Now, one of the failures, one of the massive failures of defense and depth and security is... He keeps logging into this account, he keeps guessing different codes, he keeps getting kicked out, and at no point does the system say, okay, we're just gonna block his phone number from ever calling us again. That yeah. to me seemed seemed like a real failure.
3: One of the first things I did after like I'm hosting my own Mastodon server now, and one of the first things I did was exactly that repeated attempted to, to log in. First off, no, no login via passwords. Second, repeated login attempts are being bad, like just on an IP level. Not going to call my server ever again.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And read, of course, hey. email
3: notifications. Of course, I'm getting notified about stuff like this as well, like any login attempt, you know? Yeah. Um, where...
0: <laughs> one, um, one of the technologies that, that did exist at the time contemporaneous with this movie that they did not implement was the, uh, the whole RAS dial back feature Uh, in other words it was common back then especially if you were working in a large organization and you had a modem that you could dial back into if you signed in you 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 took your computer dialed into a computer you signed in the computer on the other end would accept your login but then immediately hang up on you and then would dial you back on a known phone number so it would have to communicate with you on a number that was already associated with your account before it would let you do anything. This obviously didn't do anything, although they kind of start to do that because when Joshua starts calling him, he obviously realizes what his phone number is and he's making those phone calls. But the, uh, the, the callback security feature um, is something that was around back then, but they didn't implement it.
2: Interesting. And, and it's funny. I mean, they, they talk about how uh, Falcon started by teaching the computer to play chess and, and other games and sort of building up a machine learning potential. And this is early AI Turing-level computing where he's trying to make an artificial intelligence. Um, and when Matthew Broderick turns on the the text-to-voice synthesizer, it's as if Joshua or Whopper is talking to him. And, and they almost give the computer a personality, you know, it seems. Uh-huh eager to play, you know, it, it's it's naive, it's almost childish, and um, and Matthew Broderick engages it in a, in a gentle game of global thermonuclear war, <laughs> <laughs> which which leads to uh, the US military forces going into alert and then standing down when they find out it's not a, a real thing. Then Matthew Broderick gets open source confirmation of this by watching the news, because evidently, this becomes newsworthy. And he realizes something is fucked up. And uh, Ali Sheedy realizes it, too, when, when uh, she calls him on the phone. And she says, well, can I tell my friend, you know, Jenny, or whatever the hell it is. And he's like, no, 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 we can't tell anybody about this, right? Um, and he's now understandably worried. Because the computer starts calling him back, wants to play more. And wants to you know bring the game up and bring it online. Rafty?
3: I think the game is still running uh, but he wants to accelerate like he wants him to do a move as well because he chose the Soviets first I think.
0: Oh, was that, that the what case? it was? was? I
3: think was that that game was the game was still he... running.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay Okay. all right. I thought, yeah, the, I... the movie is really unclear about this but yeah once he starts that first global thermonuclear war that starts the countdown timer that goes for the next fifty-five hours or something yeah, yeah, like something
1: that.
3: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I thought sixty. Oh, right. but yeah, maybe fifty-five.
2: That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Um. So now the government starts to panic, and they're like, "What's going on? And why are we why are we going to war over something that's not happening?" And they send feds to go and arrest Matthew Broderick because they know his phone number. They know where he is. And yeah. And they grab him. It's nice that they mirandize him before throwing him into the van.
0: Yeah. I was going to that. I make don't know if that would happen that. today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that yeah, they, they place him under arrest without stating what the charges are. And then mm-hmm. a few moments later, when Dabney Coleman's talking to him, he essentially says, You're free to go because we, we you're not under arrest. But he clearly was placed under arrest at that point. Oh, and know. flown to Colorado without yeah. his
2: parents being notified right. or an attorney being present. Right. You
0: know, he was black bagged and disappeared. Yep,
2: yep.
3: <laughs> but no, he, it, later on, um, the guy in the in the infirmary did say that he acted like the parents were informed. I mean, we don't know. Maybe this happened in the background. That the movie does not say. I'd say.
2: Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that they do say that the parents have been informed.
0: Yeah, it's another yeah. one of those throwaway lines where they do say that, that, yeah, the parents have been informed. But of course, if I'm the parent of a kid, that's just been disappeared by a, a three letter agency. I'm on the next airplane to wherever they took my kid and not just chilling at home, you know, putting the garage, the uh, garbage away and stuff like that. and Buttering my corn, <laughs> my raw corn.
2: Um, I, I, okay, so they fly him to NORAD. I'm not sure why you know take well, you it keep
0: saying it's... no rad this huh? is really you keep saying no rad this is completely aside of everything else you say no rad it's norad isn't it what <laughs> are you being intentionally <laughs> norad? like obtuse Nora it's norad right that's what i keep saying
4: you say no you keep,
0: rad you say, yeah you say yeah, no yeah. Rad.
3: like no radiation no rad <laughs>
2: That's, but I, I,
3: it's 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 the North American air defense. North American defense.
2: air defense, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a combined uh, Canadian-American effort, but really Canada doesn't do shit. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that's what it's called. I don't, I don't, awesome. Okay, yeah, right. You, you, you it's, just
0: keep putting the where... emphasis on the no. You said no. Okay, rats. That's
3: that's all fine. And and for all the geeks out there, it's where the Stargate is located, isn't it? Yes,
2: that's correct. And also very good. Richard Dean Anderson used to hang out there, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like
3: it's like in the very bottom uh, of the basement. So,
2: yes. Yeah. Um, all right. I loved in they they lock him in the infirmary, you know, because there's no stockade there in Cheyenne Mountain. Where they're smoking, they're smoking in the infir. Dabney Coleman is smoking in the infirmary. I love that, and Different and I don't know how realistic that was, but that was awesome. Um, I just, that-
3: I was like, this, this was the eighties. Like people were smoking in airplanes, people were smoking everywhere. I'm just
0: like,
2: Matthew Broderick a- actually asked Ali Sheedy if she wants smoking or non-smoking on the flight to Paris.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, then Dabney Coleman takes him to the office, ostensibly playing good cop, and then immediately turns around and becomes bad cop all of a sudden, in a very poor effort in interrogation or whatever the hell he's attempting to do.
0: Yeah, it's very clear he has no no training in how to interrogate a potential hacker or security threat. <laughs>
3: yeah his character was a a little bit confused throughout the movie to me like i i his reasoning was not very like sound i was not able to like understand very much why he's doing what he's doing i like the general though he he had a very like consistent um lean back and being like let the humans do it we know how how stuff works but like him from the get-go where he's like no we need to make the computers do it and even though i said earlier like I understand the argument with the six minutes and everything, but just like how he's presenting it, like from from and why he's presenting it, like the argument is good, but that's the basic. And now here as well, where he's like, "No, this kid, he cannot work alone." And I'm like, "Okay, I I sort of get that," but like how he's then like developing this theory and 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 starting to build arguments, I'm like, "No, this is not like you don't believe what you're saying." Basically, this is this is, are the wipes I'm getting from him.
2: Yes, I, I agree with you. Both his motivation and his approach are just really unclear, and it, it, it's, it's strange to think how he got the power and the position he's in. Now.
4: So, I mean, I, I thought this was really interesting in terms of cinema history because it, I think, is a reflection of how the evolution on the discourse of AI has gone. Uh, It's a topic that is much more commonly brought up in contemporary media, but this was still at kind of the early stages of discussing the morality and ethics of using AI. That's
2: all. And to to take humans out of the equation and how there's kind of a a future shock or a a future phobia of replacing the human element um, with the computer. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I dig that too, and and I think that played a, a part in there. And and Dabney Coleman was supposed to be the the terrifying new face of letting technology run our lives. Mm-hmm. Y- you want Skynet? This is how you get Skynet, mm-hmm. right? Yes.
3: <laughs> um, and and you were saying about contemporary stuff. This, of course, like now with all those robots with guns on them and drones with explosives in them and stuff, um is is in a similar vein as well where you're like we don't want non-humans to pull the trigger necessarily and that and that sort of stuff
2: last week the san francisco city council voted to allow police robots to employ lethality lethal use really of force. yep are
3: they yep. are those robots like uh which are controlled remotely or are they self
2: They didn't distinguish that. Now, realistically, American police departments mainly have remote-controlled devices, so it's no different than using a rifle. But they did not distinguish between that in the municipal codes. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. This is how you end up with RoboCop.
2: Yes. It's RoboCop meets the T-800. Yeah. So another alert happens. Dabney Coleman freaks out. He leaves the office and Matthew Broderick in it. So that Matthew Broderick can now have free reign of Dabney Coleman's office and Dabney Coleman's interface with Joshua. Um, Eventually, they drag him back down to the infirmary and leave him in there, and Robin noted immediately what the issue was with locking him in that room.
4: You've got acoustic Maybe. touch tone dialing. You can hear the number that's being pressed. That that is the opposite of secure. That's just like you know fun times hacking.
3: Yes, <laughs> which he but he did not like listen to the tones. He sort of like recorded them. But maybe to the to the office thing again. Did you realize like weren't computer lock like locking the computer itself? Wasn't that a thing back then in the eighties? I don't know, like a password for the computer because the computer wasn't. Oh, was not oh locked.
2: Oh Rafty, you're so okay. you're so optimistic about how we were in the eighties. <laughs>
3: okay, sorry. There was no okay.
2: control alt delete lock screen. That was not a thing.
3: Okay, so, okay. So that's just the reason I because I wrote this down and I'm like, okay, this I need to like I need to point out, but apparently the question would have been <laughs> hilarious as well, because this just was not a thing. Okay.
1: Not a thing. <laughs>
0: now you gotta Um, remember those old terminals i mean they effectively were single process computers they 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 could only do one thing at a time so yeah they couldn't handle logins while or or uh, you know have a login screen while some other process ran in the background these were all you know everything ran in the foreground at, at those times
2: it was what it was and that's all it was exactly um so he does break out again sex wins the guard is distracted because he's hitting on the nurse in the infirmary, and that allows Matthew Broderick to get out. Um,
0: you say hitting on, and I think that that's being very generous. He was—he okay, was harassing it. the
2: shit out of the nurse. How's that? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. and she was she was being very polite about it instead yeah, of yeah. just you know filing charges against him. Which she I, wasn't you know,
0: being coy. She was not you know <laughs> yeah. trying to egg him on, but she was not having any of it. But yeah. he didn't care. Um, so then Matthew Broderick gets into the crawl spaces because,
2: sure, why not? The,
0: the magic tunnel that, that leads straight from the side of the elevator down into, you know, the most secure facility in, you know, yeah. <laughs> the United <Yeah>. States. <laughs> sure.
4: That seems like a major flaw in your security system when you have free access to these magic tunnels.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And he didn't even need a screwdriver.
1: Nope.
4: He was just
2: able to open these access things and get in and out. So he makes his way out by posing to be in the tour group. He's now on the highways. He starts hitchhiking towards Professor Falcon's home in.
0: Uh, It's in Idaho, right?
4: Oregon. 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 Okay. Yeah. Some eyes like Like, Goose Island, Oregon. Goose Island, Oregon. Oregon.
2: Goose Island, Oregon. Um, He hitchhikes, which is really good security. Because untraceable, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> I mean, yes and no. You can still interrogate the people who were driving on that road. It'd be hard, though. But physical security, I don't know. I grew up in an era when hitchhiking was not a thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: how how would you know who was on that road at what time? and yeah, I, it, 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 yeah, especially it,
3: back in the 80s i mean yeah, nowadays just, there might yeah, be cameras yeah, but no, back then yeah,
2: that's true totally pretty. untraceable um, in
3: regards to physical security i know people who are have been mugged like they they got somebody in their car a hitchhiker and they have been threatened
2: oh oh yeah oh mugged. yeah in terms of personal security it's a bad idea in terms of anonymity great idea that's the way to travel <laughs> if you're going to but do that
3: it. was what robin was like suggesting oh, like personal
2: is, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Physical security. Oh, it could have been a serial killer who took a, a cute young boy like Matthew Broderick. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
4: Can, can you imagine if the film just at that point took a completely different turn and yes. it came up worse? <laughs>
2: and now he becomes cat food in a Saw <laughs> film. Yes,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> um, Gee, Mister, thanks for picking me up. Aren't you worried about <laughs> serial killers? No, son. Where are the chances there be two of them in this car? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, now he gets to the phone booth and he does the other phone freaking Matt did you ever do this to a pay phone
0: oh no, no, and and I don't think that what he did was actually realistic in any way, but uh, you're, you're nodding your head like yes but yeah he was he was grounding out um the uh the microphone part somehow with a with, with a pop tab no, I've never it works. done that I didn't't I didn't, it, uh, it, it does work okay it
2: does work yeah so he yeah, he
0: got he got a dial tone after he grounded it out, so okay, no, I've never done that. I, guess I can neither
2: confirm nor deny, uh, <laughs> but it does work. Uh, it did work at the time. I think yeah. you know. By the time the film came out, they had changed a lot of things. But
0: uh-huh. yeah. okay.
2: Um, so he makes the phone call. He he gets Ali Sheedy to send him money to fly to Goose Island as if there's a direct flight from Grand Grand Junction or Grant. Yeah, it Grand Junction, Colorado, which I don't think has an airport. To Goose Island, Oregon. He does that a number of hours on the same day, right? Nope. With no luggage <laughs> and cash.
0: Um, didn't go through LAX, didn't go through Atlanta, didn't go through Chicago have a three hour layover anywhere. Nope.
2: Yep, yep. he shows up in time to make the last ferry and Ellie Sheedy is with him because she surprises him by driving, she says, down to Oregon from
0: Washington state. Is that- yeah, in like three hours, I think is what yeah. she said the the, the trip yeah. was and foreshadowing. Yeah, you know, the scene coming up where they barely make it onto the ferry, where they're going to also barely make it into uh, the mountain uh, as the door is shutting. Exact. Very good. Very, very good. Um, they have established that
2: Falcon's death had been faked and he'd been granted a new identity. Again, here's where the logic escapes me. If you know too much, when you retire, they give you a new identity. What? What? Why? What? <laughs> I, I, that, that whole thing just I, I flew over my head. I, I,
4: I see, I wasn't under the impression that he was given a new identity. I thought that he just disappeared himself and faked his death because he didn't want them coming after him. But then he shows up and they're just like, oh, hey, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> so no, I, that played with that. Anyway.
2: No, the reason Matthew Broderick found him is because his files were active in the military's retirement pay system. And they had his address. So they were mailing him checks every month. Mm. And the, and the line was when you know too much, they give you a new identity.
0: I but guess Robin's I that. see that.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh,
3: I agree with you in the beginning. I thought the same thing as you did, but that he just went and maybe my version is different, I don't know, but how I remembered it was that when he was in that office, Joshua told him about no um professor your secret um, location then he's asking for the secret location like joshua
2: he's yeah. asking joshua
4: yeah because that's how he gets it right
2: yep because it's in the military pay system
4: yeah that like joshua looks up the Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was it. Okay.
3: But he asks Joshua. Okay. 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 Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: In Dabney Uh Coleman's office. That's that's where he gets that information. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Now, we're we're getting ready to get into the the, the Falcon part. And I always want to call him Falcor because I'm uh, a a nerd for a never ending story. But it's not Falcor. It's Falcon. But do not gloss over how many minutes they spent on that damn pterodactyl glider that he had (laughs) flying around.
4: I, I will admit, I kind of tuned out for a little while there. I was like, all right. And then they go to Jurassic Park and hang out. for a while they, they meet the crazy professor. And then, uh, you know, they, they talk about ethics and morality and then the story resumes.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's important to note also, I even made a note on my paper. Um, this predates the uh, Chikska uh, impact re- realization. So at this at this point that the, this film was made. They still had not confirmed that an asteroid had hit in Mexico, and, and that was what killed off the dinosaurs. They were still under the impression that it was just a bunch of volcanoes at that time. So it's this movie is not that old, but that uh, uh, the realization that the, uh, uh, the the asteroid impact is actually what killed the dinosaurs had not happened yet.
2: Yeah, science has just escalated so far from the 1980s. It's amazing. He says nature just killed them off. This is what right. nature does. Right. Um, and that and that the bees would take over not bees. the cockroaches i mean right. what the hell was that i i i, I didn't okay
3: yeah peak uh, bees was not a thing yet back then as well because yeah, bees, I, yeah. Uh, when was this i think two or five years ago
1: i, I have no crazy.
2: idea <laughs> yeah um so they do they have a they have a discussion of morality and falcons very much the i don't give a fuck if the world turns into a cinder camp right
0: Yep. I made a note on my paper that he was a nihilist and a fatalist. He just did not care. You know, he's happy to let the world burn.
2: Uh, And it seems because he's lost his wife and kid, he doesn't really have a will to live
0: anyway, right? Yep. He's got nothing to live for. It's just him and this pterodactyl.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But at that point, Um, I'd like to say, like, not very well played as well. Because his change of heart, uh, not to spoil too, that, yeah, but that's basically the next step, came like with like out of the blue almost i'd say like agreed not uh, yeah, very yeah, convincing in heart. the first place yeah
2: yeah the next time he shows up he's on the helicopter the, the the air force helicopter that he's evidently called and they flew over and picked him up and then go pick up the kids and we have no way of seeing him do self reflection we have n- we, there's no context there at
4: all if if i were to rewrite this instead of him getting disappeared because he knew too much uh and getting retirement, he would have voluntarily gone and hidden. They find out about him because he I mean he's named his computer after his dead son. I think it would be plausible that in retirement he's using the back door to continue interacting with, playing with, evolving this computer so it becomes smarter than they realized. Mm -hmm. And when they come to see him, they divulge that they accidentally talked to Joshua and woke him up and they've caused this catastrophe. And he goes, oh, no, this is what I disappeared myself to prevent. I didn't want my knowledge to go too far. So he comes to the rescue.
2: That would have been such a better script.
4: So, someone bumped a line of cocaine and decided they needed a pterodactyl in this film, and that, that's why it was written the way it was.
2: I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah, so we need a too. We need a reboot where Matthew Broderick plays Falcon.
0: Yep.
4: <laughs> How awesome would that be? It would be great. They apparently remade the film in 2013. Yeah, there's, there's probably a, a reason we haven't heard of it, though. Yes. What? There's a, there's a War
0: game <laughs> sequel. Yes, it was terrible. I didn't see it, but I know about it. A, a sequel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's called, like, War Games, The Final Code, or something like that. And, yeah, it's, it's Oh, awful.
2: fuck. We almost have to watch that now. We almost <laughs> have to <do> a video <laughs> video. It has, I think it has
0: nothing to do with the original War Games, other than they just were, were, were marketing based upon the name of it. Somebody had
2: the intellectual property and wanted to use it. Right. Oh, uh, okay. All right. And, so... I, and I do
0: also want to bring up really quickly, they do uh, uh, have a scramble the jet scene where the, the general says, scramble the F-16s, and they immediately cut to two airplanes in the air, and it's not F-16s, it's F-15s. Yep.
2: <laughs> um, oh, well. Yeah. That's... But they only had so much stock
0: footage. Right, right. right yeah. yeah. They had to go with what they had.
2: Now, was that Realistic to scramble the Alaskan fighters to go and observe the the bears coming over the
0: uh yeah they the, were looking yeah they were expecting to find uh bombers. Yep. So yeah, yep. that happens all the time.
2: Yes. And and that there are there is a station there that is expressly there to do that. And there are jets sitting on alert right now with pilots in the ready room ready to go. That that is still a thing. Yep. God forty years
0: later that's still a thing. Yep. And and um, and and they they are alerted on a regular basis. They uh, you know with real um, you know radar hits and real real bombers that turn away before they get to the imaginary line that's too far. <clears throat> but within you know by the same token, we also probe their de- air defenses on a regular basis.
2: Yep, we do that dance. Yep. We do that dance all the time. Yep, yep. Um, both real world and exercise. Yep, yep. Um, so now they have to rush to NORAD because there's uh the countdown is happening and joshua's getting ready to launch his counter-strike for reels and this whole sequence was thrown into the film to make it finally have some action um because it's been all nerding up to this point right
0: it's <laughs> right been
2: talky talk talk
0: they needed some real tension
2: oh golly and they they land the helicopter, and they get in the Jeep, and they race the Jeep across the dirt and through the fence without getting shot 800 times because <laughs> the base has gone to lockdown.
0: Yep, yep.
4: And, oh, no, it's gone into lockdown. That's okay. We'll just ram the Jeep straight through the fence. That's okay. That's how you do that.
0: You know, <laughs> and the then- air
2: force driver is very willing to do this.
3: <laughs> that's true yeah and then the second uh into another vehicle like when my wife saw this she's like why is he driving into it? like there's I mean he already hit the one fence but like why is he then heading towards this other vehicle how is this like logical why aren't they driving further at this point and
2: because he's what the hideous like... driver and and you know he, yeah yeah uh, especially
0: when you saw in that first scene at the very beginning of the movie there, they had the capability to land a helicopter right outside the gate. Why do they need to land a mile or two away yep. and now drive? Yeah. Uh, now they've
3: got the memo that it's a no fly zone. Right. right. <laughs>
0: See,
4: if I were to rewrite this now, instead of involving the helicopter at all, they would have boarded the pterodactyl and just flown <laughs> there. Because the pterodactyl's not gonna show up on the radar. Oh it's
2: fiberglass. It, yeah, it's a stealth pterodactyl.
4: It was fiberglass? I thought it was living. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how you I would put it.
2: Yes, he's also doing genetic experiments. And um <laughs> so they run again through the big closing uh, blast door uh as you do and they find out that joshua is cracking the launch sequence one digit at a time
0: well now uh, i
4: know that's not how that works
0: the, the now, now now the cracking you you what you're describing is the second point of tension because they have the first point of tension that gets resolved pretty quickly there, there are basically two endings to this movie.
2: Okay, do tell, do tell.
0: So the the first one is um, when they 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 stop. Uh, uh, Falcon and uh, Lightman show up, and they oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the, the exact sequence of events, but they 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 get him. They they get Whopper to stop. <clears throat> and everybody cheers and everybody goes okay great and then you look at if you're watching the movie and you see shoot we still have 25 more minutes in this movie this can't be the ending of it no because then whopper starts its countdown sequence again where it's trying to crack the codes because it's trying to um oh uh uh, yeah it's it's trying to get the launch code so it can launch the stuff and then then that second ending is the one where they let it uh, play tic-tac-toe against itself
2: Okay, yeah, so so um, so it's brute forcing the codes by guessing, right? Yep. And, and Robin even asked, wait, do, do you guess one digit at a time? And and can somehow the, the...
4: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. If you were to crack it one digit at a time, you would just go, okay, here's the first number. Is it zero, one, two, three, et cetera, until it goes, ah, yes, it's four. And then you go to the next one. And this would take all of about one second less for a computer to do.
2: Exactly. So
4: that's (laughs) That's realistic.
2: Exactly. It's an all or nothing proposition. Either you get the whole code or you get none of the code. But for dramatic purposes, they keep exposing one number at a time. And some minor character says, okay well, at this rate, it'll take nine minutes. So they've got a new counter that they have to be. And... It's another
4: nearly useless female in the film.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep. Um,
4: uh,
2: just be lucky there were females in the room at the time. That was that was a did, huge step forward. Did you
4: also did you notice that they had an Ohura yes, who they was did. just yeah, yeah. saying whatever the computer was saying?
0: Yeah, <laughs> she was reading reading the countdown.
4: That that was their little diversity token in there too.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, And for those who didn't notice, like I did until you paused the film and Amazon told you, that was William H. Macy as the the colonel, the Air Force colonel, talking to the general. Oh, really? Yeah. Very young. Didn't look like William Macy at all. Hmm. Um, Bitch and porn stash,
0: too. (laughs) (laughs) This is also the part of the movie where one of my favorite lines is spoken by the general uh where uh they're trying to figure out if they can can they shut down whopper no they can't shut down whopper because it will go into a failed deadly mode a dead hand mode and it'll launch everything automatically if they shut down whopper so they have to stop it somehow and the general who's the big blustery fat general says i'd piss on a spark plug if i thought it'd do any good
2: (laughs) now does, he does that help? <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? Is that, is that a troubleshooting maintenance thing for automobiles? Like, I
0: don't <laughs> think that that is anywhere remotely close to it. I think that uh, he just likes feeling electricity shooting up his urethra. <laughs>
4: see i for a brief (laughs) moment wondered if you know if the first step is to turn it off and on again maybe that's the second step (laughs) (laughs) okay well uh if that didn't solve it have you tried pissing on a spark plug
3: (laughs) (laughs) what in the whole thing like with the launch codes what i found interesting is that from a security perspective they also moved from a two-factor back to a one-factor only the codes were required at that point. You did not need the turning of the keys anymore. But, so and that
2: was the whole point of, of changing the system. And they even showed in the silo, the uh, controllers picking up their keyboards and leaving and the technician installing the Whopper modem.
1: Yeah.
3: And I understand, but from a security perspective, still like that there's only one like um, thing, maybe they should have had something on Whopper, where they could have like something like nowadays, I would say something like a YubiKey, something you can unplug, so that this is a second factor that needs to be in place for this to happen. Or like, just like maybe in the launch room itself as well, like that they have the humans have to insert something there as well. Yeah, just and, moving and back to single factor.
0: And bad. real world, that that is the case, we never got away from the men on the silos. We never were well, fully, fully computer yeah. automated. For those exact reasons.
2: Um, Now, the movie, for the most part, had been doing pretty good about computery stuff. Until that last little panic sequence where the technicians are all babbling about how to stop the thing and how they're trying to stop the thing. And they can't turn it off. um, And there's a line that's like three sentences long. I didn't transcribe it. But he goes, we didn't do the couldn't get past the firewall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> first usage like, of the word firewall in a movie ever. Yeah. And I was just really? like Really? Yes. Um, that is the first instance of the word firewall.
3: Ooh. See now yeah. I understand why it has such a relevance. <laughs> like, I have no context.
0: Like <laughs> and 15 years now, later, hackers beat it into the ground. And, and
2: I and I didn't I I didn't really listen to that line. I didn't really parse it. Did, yeah. did does it make any sense? Does it it sounded like total Garbage.
0: I was kind of glossed over in that part yeah. of it. <laughs> so, no, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it.
4: Well, the but. actual fact is that the writers, having done the bump of cocaine and putting that pterodactyl in, really kind of liked the stuff and continued with the bumps of cocaine. <laughs>
2: that makes sense. All right. And they said, throw some computery stuff and then,
1: okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Um that, that point, note- The movie's a little long they've 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 yeah. brought the tension past the point of where we care anymore i kind of think i don't know D- did anyone else feel this way
3: yeah yeah they could have shaved it down yeah <laughs> like as uh- you said like with those sequences also like the helicopter sequence was too long i mean we can't go on about which sequences are too long but i agree like in the later half they had way too many sequences which could have been skipped totally and i like robin's approach of like changing it to make it better and more interesting, and
2: being able to cut off a lot of those those things. Um, concur. Yeah. Concur. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, as Matt said, they solve the big riddle by making it play itself in Tic-Tac-Toe, finding out yeah. it's an unwinnable game. It equates that in a very cool, I got to say, a very cool graphic sequence where it tries all the different Um, Global Thermonuclear War Solutions finds out that neither side is going to survive for any appreciable time. And then it realizes this is also an unwinnable game. Even the computer, Joshua, learns that nuclear war is bad for humans and other living things, right?
4: This was actually something I wanted to mention because a lot of movies dealing with tech, uh, one of the pitfalls that they find is that you can't make that very cinematic. And you'll get these really dumb montages, or they'll make something really hokey to try to illustrate it. And I thought that this actually illustrated a climactic scene about technology in an interesting and relevant way. So they get a yep. point from me yep. for that.
0: They they introduced a race condition into Whopper. He was unable to to stop uh, processing, and he <clears throat> the light started dimming, and smoke started flying out, and. Whopper for all of its little blinky lights. I have no idea what any of those lights meant, but, but that, one, <laughs> that one actress was walking around diligent. with the clipboard, looking at the lights <laughs> <laughs> at the lights. Yes. Like, like it meant anything to anybody. <laughs> but,
4: Another pretty useless female.
2: Yeah, but this is my 15 minute check of the lights. I have to walk around with the clipboard and check that the lights are still on. She's right. looking for burnt light bulbs. Like it's a Christmas tree sequence. You know, right. um. Uh, uh yeah uh but yes no i love that i love that ending i love all you know they show all the different possible uh triggers to a nuclear war and they all have scenario names and i i i've heard that there are easter eggs in there because they're scrolling across the screen very very quickly i heard one of them has alien invasion on it <laughs> uh and i'd like to go through and look at all of them at some point um but it's very cool and it's a happy feel-good ending and even the computer becomes a little bit more human.
0: <laughs> yep. Now, and my only crit- criticism of the ending is that there's no post log. There's no. the the, the, the it, it just ends. You know, they save the world. Every uh they go Matthew
2: Broderick gets thrown in a black hole in in Guantanamo Bay.
4: No, no, no. See, Matthew Broderick knew too much, so they gave him a new identity in Chicago. Chicago
2: he becomes Ferris Wheeler. And leaves (laughs) ali
0: Sheedy, though. What a dumb No, I don't know, but he goes goes with him. She goes with him. She has plastic surgery and she's Mia Sarah.
2: No, 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 no. She goes to Chicago. They break up. She ends up Going through a goth phase and getting detention at the Breakfast Club <laughs> in Shermer, Illinois. Right? Yep.
0: Yep. yep. There you go. Yep.
2: That's exactly what it is. Oh my God! All right. Well, yeah, we have tie all this together. Explain.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the,
0: the the last scene of the movie, they basically say that the the general goes from you know take us for, to, from from Defcon One to Defcon Five, which is Defcon One is nuclear war. Defcon yeah. Five is Peace and love and rainbows and hippies, <laughs> and he just says, "Let's go to DefCon Five and and you know move, roll credits." Yep,
4: like the Cold War was over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty much. So that was a little bit pat. That was a little bit uh, trite, I thought. But but I, they, they, at that point they had to they realized they couldn't bring the pterodactyl back, so they had to wrap up the movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they would run out of cocaine and <laughs> funding, and it was time to just end the film. Roll credits. <laughs> yep uh to some terrible music um all right so Rafty as a glimpse into the cold war how'd you feel about all this
3: (laughs) um I have a couple of questions um like because you mentioned like going back to Defcon 5 and of course this sort of seemed weird to me but was like was the public informed about the current Defcon state like was this would anybody like would have this have been weird
2: no so this could
3: have happened realistically
2: oh no no realistically it couldn't happen you can't go from DEFCON 1 back to anything because you're at war um (laughs) uh and there's there's graduated steps I mean you have to there's a whole process for doing each thing and it's it's very difficult and they
3: cost over everything okay I see so they made this much more simpler and easier okay I I figured but like from a naive outsider's perspective I'm like if nobody knows which state we're in why can't you move from one to five
2: well, um if, because if it it's, it's expensive been... it's a big deal yeah it's 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 hard, it's hard to do it's because it, uh, again okay. there's a bunch of different things you have to do at each step um uh you can you can skip steps going up coming back down you have to go through each of the processes and realistically the public was not supposed to know it was supposed to be classified at any given moment. You know who always knew? Our opponents always knew because they were always watching us, and the steps that you take at each one are fairly obvious. Like, at the time, gate checks were random, Um, you know, whether you're checking IDs or just waving people through the gate on a base. Now they're always happening. But if, for instance, if you wanted to know the difference between whether a base was at DEFCON 5 or DEFCON 4, all you had to do is watch whether they're stopping the cars going in or not. So OPSEC was a terrible thing at the time, but, yeah, there was a facade of
0: of secrecy. And, Ben, I you may know this. I I know I've heard this before, but the highest DEFCON level the United States ever got to was during the Cuban Missile Crisis during Kennedy. Is that correct? And I, I think don't, we only made it to Robin asked
2: two. me this question. Okay. Robin asked me this question. I think we've been de- to DEFCON 2 twice, I think. Okay. I don't remember. I wasn't there, but I think that's what
0: Yeah, I was thinking during during the Cuban Missile Crisis, we went to DEFCON, too, but we've uh, and that was only for a very short period of time. Um, So that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, it's a Um, a really big deal to to, to go to that high of a state.
3: And maybe a little bit more of a technical question Um, in the like, when I saw the first sequence, when they started like the missile launch and like in the bunker and when they did not go through with it, like um, this also like the opening of the thing and like the whole process. Doesn't this like um, can missiles just do this? I was I did not look this up, but like this pre-launch state, like going back from this, I think there would have need to to be some service, like people going in and like plugging stuff back in, moving down this stuff, maybe refueling something,
2: and Unfueling. I thought like. Unfueling's the big deal because those things aren't sitting ready to be triggered at any given time. Oh, you have to, it's all liquid unfueled. fuel and yeah. uh, you have to pump it in. And then if you're going to stand down, you got to pull this. Robin asked the same question when we were watching and and it's okay. a, that's a big expensive pain in the ass too.
3: I see. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Also,
4: I would imagine if a bunch of missile silos started opening around the country as part of a test wouldn't the russians, russians be upset
2: yeah they'd freak the yep. fuck out they they would be going to their defcon too yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah because they yeah that was one of the things they were always monitoring was yeah the state of our silos and if the silos were open um and in fact we have a, a missile silo that is open as a tourist attraction That uh, specifically has things on it so that when satellites look at it, the Russians know that this is an inactive uh, uh, missile silo uh, because they put stops around the doors so that they they, they can't open or close or stuff like that. But yeah, they would keep track of all that stuff.
2: Pretty much when we would do an exercise, we would tell the Russians, we were going to do an exercise so that when that silo or that brace of silos opened, they wouldn't panic.
0: Yep. yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and I told Robin one of the creepy, you know, there there were the creepy programs that we came up with at the time. One of one of the concepts was, and I forget if this was the MX missile or the Peacekeeper. The idea was we'd put it on a rail car and drive it around the country so that the satellites couldn't always be tracking it at, all at any given time. And if we wanted to launch a first strike, we could without them knowing about it. <laughs> it was a fucked up world, Rofty. It was really,
0: yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And if you want to hear more of Cold War stuff, listen to the podcast Snafu with Ed Helms. The actor Ed Helms from The Hangover has, this, has a Cold War podcast, to, and the, the first season just wrapped up, and it's called, it's, uh, it's called Snafu, Situation Normal All Fucked Up. But it's all about the Able Archer 83 uh, exercise, where uh, Russia, the USSR, came very close to thinking that uh, uh, the United States, during an exercise, was actually going to trigger nuclear war. And we all Uh-oh. almost died in 1983. So, anyways, oh, yes, yeah, oh, oh, with that Helms, yeah, it's a great podcast. Get to take a listen.
2: I want to. I want to listen to that. Okay, I'm going to add that, that to the list. Interesting. Yeah, good promo for other podcasts.
0: Well, um, I'll, <laughs> I can trim that out if I need to. <laughs> no,
2: no, no, that's good. No, I, I'm all for that. Um, uh, also, there was, and I forget the name of the colonel. There was a Russian colonel who prevented the planet from becoming a cinder because they actually had a doomsday um, bunker. Which could launch all of the Russian missiles all at once, and it did have a malfunction and it was going to launch and he, he was the character that wouldn't turn the key. And um, yeah, he's a hero to humanity. And that didn't come out till 20 years after the Cold War ended. Yep.
0: Yep. They had a satellite that picked up a glimmer on the horizon that they mistook for a nuclear uh, missile launch. And yeah, yep, came so close. I mean, war games you know it, it seems like it's a feel-good you know uh cold war movie everything you know works out but man it's it really is almost a documentary of the number of times that we almost killed the entire planet multiple times over uh, how close we came
2: kind of crazy Yep. um all right uh, did you have other questions Rafi?
0: I,
3: uh, maybe a fun one. Um, looking at those old computers was fun for me, of course, as well. I never seen such like in real life. I've never touched one of those big machines, but like, Whopper had all those lights on it. And I think like this was a very 80s thing, uh, but it was like, was this a real thing on computers as well? Like the strip of light that it had around it, like, and what would the purpose be? I mean, it was so analog and everything was so analog, but like, lights.
2: I don't, I don't remember any really – I loved the room full of AS400s, where it's just a bunch of reel-to-reel tapes, uh, you know, standing on those tall boxes. That, that seemed more realistic to me. Um, a bunch of lights on a machine for no reason. I, Matt, have you ever seen anything like that?
0: Um, it made me think of the, the really, really early kit computers uh that where where that you would actually communicate with it through uh through through lights through diodes because you couldn't you didn't have a monitor in other words so if it Mm -hmm. wanted to to uh translate the word or the the number one to you it would actually be a string of eight uh diodes and they would be either on or off to represent the binary number of a a one or two or something like that so really really early on yeah that but by the time we had computer monitors even the monochrome monitors yeah we didn't need all those those lights so yeah that's just a cinematic device to make it look like it's doing something it's not really <laughs> realistic
2: and that's what the altair did except they were static lights it was either on mm. or off it wasn't a blinky flashy thing yeah yeah
3: yeah it wasn't displaying sine waves and like no. <laughs> stuff that almost looked like eyes or something <laughs> yeah. okay
2: or no <laughs> that's how you know it's good um Matt, was there anything you wanted to add?
0: Um, no, I don't think so. I think that this was a, a, a fun movie to rewatch, watch and, and uh, I'm glad that we got to got to do it on the show. Because you and I had had the discussion, and you had thought you had already done this movie uh, a media, as a media review uh, for, for some time. And I kept trying to tell you, no, you haven't done it. And finally, I convinced you by going back through the entire history of the sensuous sounds of InfoSec <laughs> and pointing out that it, it, no, it doesn't the- appear.
4: It's funny, I thought that we had done it, too, and then I remembered Ben and I watched this movie before we started the podcast, and I think that may have been what started the conversation. Hey, maybe we should record some of the conversations we have about these tech things, because it's, it's kind of interesting. Maybe someone will like it. Yeah, Matt
2: convinced me by making me play tic-tac-toe against myself. <laughs>
4: Uh, and you said strange game The only winning move is not to play
2: Kind of like having a podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, Robin was there anything else You wanted to add about the film
4: Um, I think It would have been better with more pterodactyls But on the whole on the binary sc- Scale I would give it a one
2: Rafty
3: I want oh, oh, if I, I would give it a zero I would give it Really? A zero. No is- I don't sorry (laughs) maybe it's just like i did not like the acting most of the acting i did not like (laughs) um and as i said like from a premise perspective i and my recommendation would be for people who are like me my age like 30 and uh, above oh no 30 and below um maybe should not watch the movie either (laughs) i'm sorry
0: interesting
4: You can I you grow up in America in the 80s. Yeah, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Neither
2: did you, but okay.
4: Um, sort of.
2: Okay. Mm. Okay. I'm Back. sorry. So. No, no. There's you don't have to apologize. That's good content.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'll admit that there is some nostalgia for this this movie. Uh, however, unlike Tron. Uh, the nostalgia uh, I think holds up over the, over the span of time. And uh, yeah, I definitely give it a big fat one. I think it's a great movie. And I, I enjoyed rewatching it.
2: Agreed. I I'm right there with you. A huge one, um, both for the InfoSec concepts and for the storyline. Uh, again, I think it's more relevant now, even than it was at the time. Um, uh, and I happen to really, really love, every time I see it, I'm amazed by it and then I forget it later when it could be useful. But the idea of buttering your corn (laughs) by putting it across a piece of bread and rolling the bread, that to me is genius. I I, I love that life hack there.
1: How
3: but how can the butter like melt if the corn was not like cooked or if it's like
2: because it was okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of a yeah. Good you you found the flaw there. Yes. Um, I'd just like to remind everyone you can buy us a coffee at uh, the Securitized website or buymeacoffee.com slash securitized if you want to support this show. And if you want to pick a film that we should all watch, buy us five or six coffees and and we'll do whatever you want. How's that? (laughs) um uh thank you again gentlemen for joining us i know we were very disappointed joey police could not join us this pop culture is his bailiwick but um uh, he'll be back on future episodes uh until next time i'm ben maliseau
4: i'm matt Snoddy. i'm rafael fiedler and i'm robin Cade.
2: join us again next week for another episode of the sensuous sounds of infosec
0: Hey there, listener, Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications? Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com, and that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel Wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the infosec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test-drive their free firewall software called Portmaster. Downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks at BlueEdgeNetworks.com and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at TopicOfChoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash s s o i underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific infosex situation you may experience. If you enjoy this podcast, take a listen to the topic of choice with host Joey Police, his sidekick Matt, that's me, and lots of interesting guests. Now on its third season, Joey leads open conversations, reviews, and interviews about all kinds of interesting and exciting topics, often with a pop culture take. It's a fun show released weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The only winning move is not to play.